So we're going to wrap up today. I know it might be disappointing, but the biblical view of sex, we're going to wrap that up today. And last week we spent a, the whole time mainly dealing with, um, we've been talking about threats to intimacy. So if you have the handout, passivity was the first one, and pornography was the second one. And we spent the whole time addressing how to prevent it, what to do if the husband or the wife has issues with pornography, how to address it, kind of a lot of issues surrounding that. And so we have a couple of other things to talk talk about today. I think the first one that we're going to talk about is bitterness. We're on page page nine. So I'm going to start by reading from Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 15. So if you've got that, let's see, Cole, can you read that one for me? Hebrews 12, 15. Do we have any extras? Do we have any? Maybe. They're usually in one of these four drawers. We've got money. So we're talking about here, right, there's no mention of sex or sexual intimacy. And so think about, like, what's the relationship? Like, how, how can bitterness, how can it affect your, your sexual intimacy or your marriage? What's, what's going to happen there if we've got bitterness? That's right. That's right. I was going to say, like you said, you know, it's it's about your relationship. A lot of times we call it, the, you know, intimacy. And you know, bitterness kind of it kind of breaks that. There's no relationship if your relationship isn't reconciled. Then it makes it very hard to really have sexual intimacy. And so that's one way it can relate, right? Who would want to? You know, come together if you've got this bitterness. And uh, it's kind of a, a cycle here. So if you take the intimacy out of the picture, how would that affect that bitterness? Or how can that intensify it, what do you think? Well, bitterness is something that can just consume you one way or the other. Mm-hmm. And say a couple, one of the Maybe one of them's bitter about something, right? And we've got a long list of things that we could potentially get bitter about. 
And so maybe that one withdraws from intimacy. So then what could happen in the, in the marriage? How could that develop over time? Not just with, you know. Not just with intimacy, but overall their relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, one of the things that kind of relates back to, if, if we remember, uh, just as a reminder, one of the first issues when we talked about, um, after we talked about the purpose of sex, we talked about principles governing sex within marriage. And kind of the first one is... Um, you know, in, in order for to remove this bitterness and to keep these right, right, there has to be the gospel in our in our marriage. So, in order to prevent that bitterness, there has to be a continual coming back to the gospel of our need for forgiveness, our acknowledgement that we're each responsible, that we sin against one another, and without that gospel, right, it's really hard to prevent sin and because. There's no other way to, to deal with sins against one another. Um, a couple of things related to, to bitterness is um, a couple of words here. Uh, one talks about set, you know, this first comment is about you know separating sex from the relationship. It says, touch her heart before you touch her body. Sex without relational intimacy will lead to a wife feeling used and tempt her to bitterness. Right, so what's kind of the, what does that mean? What does that look like in practice? Either in the positive or in the neg- negative. What, what could you do so that you are not leading your wife to be tempted to, to be bitter or wives? Um, what are some things that your husband might do that would lead you to be, feel tempted to in terms of intimacy? Without that, right, if that's not there, how does the wife feel when the husband does initiate? If, if every time... Loved. Right. So she, he, she feels loved when he's affirming and having um, physical, loving uh, touch, mm-hmm. but is not always seeking. Right? So on the converse of that, how does the wife feel if the only time the husband gives her any physical affection is when he's expecting sex? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a key understanding is that, you know, from the, from the male's point of view, he needs to understand that, right, there's, there's a connectedness, that physical touch is not only in the arena of sex, that it's extends beyond that. 
What else, anything else besides just the, the non-sexual touching ways that you can work on building that relational intimacy that would help to prevent the wife from feeling used in, your, in the sexual relationship? This might be just even a minor one, but kind of on a similar note, just um, words of gratification or affirmation, like, you look beautiful today. Mm -hmm. Just, you look beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Um, just giving those affirming notes. Yeah. I, I will, I'm not going to read very much, but let's turn to Song of Solomon. You know, it's a little, <laughs> a little heated. So... Let's go to a couple of places. So we're going to look at just briefly at chapter 2 and chapter 4. So if you guys are familiar or not, right, it's, there's the, the bride and the groom, right, the beloved. They're talking to one another in Song of Solomon. And we're talking about this idea of, you know, touching um, your wife's heart before touching her body, that your intimacy is not just physical, but there's a relational aspect. And so if we look at chapter 2, um, you look at the bride talking about um, her beloved. So starting in verse 8, the voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle. And she's speaking about him, praising him, and then if you go over to chapter 4, you see the groom. And as you said, I think one of the things that you can see as you read through this is that he doesn't just go straight to sexual intimacy, but he gives her praise. Now, I don't know if I would use the same uh, symbolic language for... Uh, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. And he starts, your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins. I heard this said that means that she has all her teeth. Right? They're not missing any. All of which bear twins, and not one among them has lost its young. Right? Oh, boy, no. <laughs> and he goes through your lips, your cheeks, your neck, like the Tower of David, right? Yeah. But eventually, he gets to your breasts, right? And then towards the end, in verse 9, you have captivated my heart. My sister, my bride, you have captivated my heart with one glance. How, you know? And so, there's a relational part where he's praising her and he's also adoring her not just in a sexual uh, way but just in general praising her beauty so building upon their mm -hmm. their intimacy there so I think definitely there's there's those words that can that can help build on that um, what, what about that second point it says never use sex to get what you want I think this could be uh, most, I think it's more often assumed that this is something that the, the wife may be tempted to, to do, but it could be done by husband or wife. But you don't want to use it as a reward, right? You do this and we'll have sex. Or as a punishment. Oh, he did this, so no sex, right? Um, what, I mean, if, if that became the, 
the mode for one or, or other of the spouse, what does that kind of create in your marriage? Right? What does that do with the your spouse? How are they going to be changed by that, affected by that? Basically, at that point, oh, you're manipulating me and you know, reducing me down to you know a dog that wants a treat now. Mm -hmm. I mean, or something like that, to where okay, you're both not going to exactly be in a happy spot with the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's to become a tool for manipulation. How would you, if you were to counsel, say you have a friend that they kind of confide and you you realize that kind of they're having difficulties and this has become one of the ways that they're dealing with it? Is that well? We had this fight, and we did this, and, and we have just decided no sex until he does this, or she does that. Mm-hmm. And what would you say to them that would maybe try and encourage them away from using it that way? First or second Corinthians is pretty explicit about that. The only reason you should abstain is by mutual consent mm-hmm. for a time. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really good. Yeah, First Corinthians, and it, and it, right the the uh, reasoning behind that, right? He gives is there's a couple. Yeah, to, it's for the good of your spouse to prevent, or for your own good, right? To prevent temptation, and he also justifies it by saying the truth is, right? Your body belongs to your spouse. The wife belongs to her husband. Her husband belongs to to your wife. Good. I think the other thing too is again, if you got that sort of attitude, um, sometimes that can make this where um, the sex only comes, it's based on like performance in your relationship. And sometimes that's where even in our walk with God, we can have a, you know, if I obey, then I'm pleasing to God. But if I do wrong, then I'm displeasing, I'm rejected. And so we start to see that relationship where it's I'm in good standing when I do the right thing, and I'm in bad standing when I do the wrong thing, and it's not based on the gospel of realizing that I'm undeserving of God's love. He poured forth that grace and mercy when I didn't deserve it. And when it becomes that manipulative, it's that exact, you're doing that exact same thing to your spouse, saying, okay, if you're in good standing with me, then we'll have sexual intimacy. If we're not, then we won't. And when the gospel is governing over that, right, it doesn't it doesn't really, right? They're always going to be a sinner. You're always going to be a sinner, and you're always going to be working through growing in their, your sanctification. Any other thoughts on how, like, where bitterness can kind of creep in and how it can detract from sexual intimacy? I would just, you know, encourage that, you know, bitterness, it, it, it says in, in Hebrews, right, let no root of bitterness 
spring up and cause trouble. And so that bitterness can start as something really small, but like we talked about, if it's not addressed, it, it continues to grow. And so if there's any time where mm -hmm. you sense within your own heart or within your spouse that there may be something, uh, some bitterness forming, um, seek to address it as soon as you can and talk about it, right? Bring it out. So um, I think our, one of our last ones here, oh, we got a couple more. So we also have busyness, right? Busyness, First Corinthians, right? We're going back to that passage. First Corinthians seven five. Let's see, uh, David, you want to read that one? Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Let them come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Yeah. Yep. And so, if we're going to abstain or deprive. Right, we've got several conditions, right? What has to be in place here for that to happen? Both agree, right? Has to be mutual. Okay. Which by the way, this is probably the almost the only sexual ethic outside the church that exists anymore. Is that if two people have mutual consent, then there is no other Right boundary. That's that's kind of where we're going in the culture right now. So if you think about our circle, we've talked about before how like you know, God's law tells us and defines for us what's what's good and what's sin. So for the general world and for most people now, this line consists only of mutual consent, and anything that is mutual consent is good. And if there's not mutual consent, that's the only thing that's sexually out of bounds. And so that's the maybe the one last area that we have in common. So what is it besides mutual consent? Limited time. Limited time. Limited time only. What else? Devoting yourself to prayer. Mm -hmm. And then he kind of re reasserts. He says for limited time and then he's, what's he say after? So you meant devote yourselves to prayer and then what? Come together again, right? So that's it. reinforcing, right? And so, you know, this this is something where like each couple, right? You would maybe have to talk about: Does that mean five days? Does that mean two weeks? Right? What what constitutes a limited time? And are we devoting ourselves to prayer for that for that amount of time? What's the um, so, if that's the only reason to kind of abstain, let's talk about we'll brainstorm, right? So, some illegitimate reasons. Wrong reasons, I guess. So, what are some things that come in the way, right? So, busyness, when we talk about that, that can come in lots of different forms. Right? We're just too busy. So what are some activities that are common in our life that can make us too busy? Too many hours at work. Too many hours at work, yeah. Or a schedule that doesn't allow you, like if you work split shifts, one works nights, one works days, mm -hmm. like would you have opportunity? Mm -hmm. Extra activities, 
like oh, in sports. Uh, I think even she said it. Sports. <laughs> <laughs> I think even if like you know, say you guys are both very committed to the ministry, but like it was so much, but that you just didn't have any time, just the two of you. You know, I think mm -hmm. even that could be. Can. That's hard because ministry is good. <laughs> right. But it, it can be. Right. Are I missing anything here? It could be if you have priorities with your friends rather than making your spouse your best friend. Because mm -hmm. the friendship is important in Christian fellowship in that context of being friends is it's helpful for your growth. But mm -hmm. if your marriage is not worth it. Yeah. If you have a certain one or two nights that are free and it's I'm going to hang out with my buddies and neglecting at home. And, you know, I think that it's it's interesting that like many of these things, like I think about the activities in sports, it's one of those things where there's a freedom to do all those things, but these are not things that you're commanded to do, whereas we are commanded as husband and wife to continually be coming together. And so when you have two activities, one you're free to do, but not commanded to, the other God commands you to do it and to not to do it would be sin, then it's an obvious choice as to which one is the, the greater priority. Um, some of these things can be a little bit more complicated. Like, what would you say to counsel with a couple where, I know a couple where she works days, he works nights, and they have just a couple hours, two, three hours during the week, and then um, weekends it might, it's kind of hit or miss, maybe they have the weekend together. How would you counsel them to make that, make that work? What are some things you could suggest? You're going to have to decide it's important. And you will have to sacrifice other things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if that's what is needed to help your marriage. Yeah. So yeah. maybe your kids don't get to participate in sports, or maybe you have to pay a friend to take them with their kids. Mm hmm. Yeah, and there are some times where it, you want to at least ask about that, right? Is there something that can change with your work? Because obviously, ideally, would be that they would both be able to have more time together. And so you don't want to just take for granted that that's the way it is, right? Maybe there's a potential for change, or at least temporary or periodically, um, to make those changes. Well, I assume there'd be some amount of time that they have together usually they're probably not both working 12-hour shifts. Right, right. So, which are opposite hours. But um, having to plan and schedule it like you schedule everything else. Yeah, so if you've got an eight-hour workday and you're going to sleep eight, that gives you eight hours. And so trying to get somehow some overlap between those off hours that you're both awake and figuring out how to make the most of, of those things. And so... Um, it, it just creates that 
uh, added wrinkle that oftentimes that sexual intimacy happens you know around that same sleeping hour so if that doesn't overlap they have to create opportunities for that outside of if they're going to each sleep separately on days and nights and things like that um, i would say even here you know just family in general family and kids i know that um some parents uh, some couples pour their life into their kids and it becomes their identity and by the time the kids are grown, they're just staying together for the kids. And then they get divorced once the kids are all out of the house because their marriage has been, been lost. So there's a certain sense in which you have to work to draw boundaries to where you're still putting that time in to devote to your marriage above investing everything in, in the kids as well. couple of words of wisdom. If you're too busy for intimacy, you're too busy. It's just, just the way it is, right? If you don't have time for intimacy with your spouse, you, something needs to be cut out. You're definitely too, too busy. Um, learn to be bored together. Um, so with that one, you know, I would say one thing that's super, super helpful is to schedule in non- non-activity time like schedule time in your calendar where nothing nothing is planned because oftentimes I, I was thinking about this the most sometimes the most important interactions we have are during the nothing parts of our schedule right like I could, I'm going to the game coaching and then I'm doing um, you know I may be coming up to serve on the worship team and then I may be going over and doing something for work, right? And I've got scheduled, 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 it's in there. And then the time I'm with my wife or with my family, it's very rarely like, I'm going to be at home around my kids and my family. Like, I've got blocked that off for two hours. But oftentimes those nothing spots in your schedule are where those most important things can happen. And then this is something more in the last, uh, you know, it says, when television's moved into the bedroom, sex moved out. Don't allow screens to dominate your lives. And I would say, for the last 15 years since a smartphone, um, that's definitely, um, I think, one of the things that we've been trying to instigate is, like, making sure, like, we have a, we try and keep our phones in an external, like, a, charge them outside the bedroom so that then when we get uh, done for the evening, because I noticed that happened a couple times where we'd get in bed and we would both just, <laughs> and then we'd look at each other like, oh, you're, there's another person here, right? And it's happened a couple times and I thought, that's not good for our marriage, right? So finding a way to keep those distractions out to where you are actually interacting. Um, you guys have any other hints or tips, right? How can you prevent busyness from taking over your life and cutting out um, intimacy. You kind of hit on it, Scott, but I think just in general to remember that like a lot of those other things that can take the place of that are good things. Like you can spend your time doing lots of good things. Mm -hmm. Like if they get in the way of this, then it's, it's, not, it's not good anymore. Yeah. Right? And so it's just that, that mindset of like, yes, that's good, but not if it think of, I don't know which we would say it goes into, but date nights. 
Yeah. You're scheduling it in. Yeah. It's important. And it's awesome because it's like you get to actually communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll find things out like, I didn't even know mm -hmm. you had this thought about this rhythm of life for us or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And it's like, it's good to re-get to know your spouse. Yeah, I think, you, I think we are surprised by how, you know, we're constantly growing and changing, and so is our spouse. And so sometimes, no matter how much we've been, no matter how well we know our spouse, right, a month, six months, a year goes by, right, we, there's a lot of change that's taking place during that time. And I think one thing, great thing about date night is that, right, it gives you a, a focused time to just talk together about one another. Make, like guarding that and not sometimes just okay let's not talk about just the kids for a while right or let's and I think that oftentimes if the husband and wife can think about things that maybe we just don't talk about this very often right what can we talk about that we just don't get a chance to I think that's a super helpful thing I know that sometimes when we when we've made it a date night I've thought I've, I've kind of mentally gone through things like I've been thinking about this, or I've been thinking about that, and we haven't really had a chance to talk about it. And we just sit down and share, and what do you think? Asking a lot of questions, and there's no distractions, and it builds into that, that intimacy. And I think um, when it, one of the things I would suggest, too, is that when you have more time, and you can set aside time where, let's say, you're planning on this is the night or whatever of the week that we're going to have an intimacy, building in enough time that you can talk a little bit, you know, as well, and it's not just, okay, we have this few minutes or hour or whatever to, to be together. That that helps to relate that relationship to the intimacy as well. Okay. we got next. This is one where uh, changes in life. So this is like... You never know, right, what, what stage you're in. So Ecclesiastes 12, 5 through 7. Noah, this is yours. You got it? <clears throat> the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fades, or fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourner goes about the streets. The cord for the cord is snapped or a golden bowl is broken or a pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel <clears throat> broken at the returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Right. Right. So you don't realize it now, right? But your your bodies are aging. They're going to age. And uh, sometimes we just don't think about how our body or our spouse's body is going to change and that might affect um, you know, our ability to be sexually intimate. And so I was trying to think of like ways in which Right, aging affects us. Right, I love lists. So, right, aging. Um, one, it just affects our appearance. We just don't look the same. You know, some people say the day you get married, that's the best you're ever gonna look. Right, and, you know, when you get married. So, so just be prepared for that day next. Um, but your appearance is gonna change, and so you know, so is your spouse's. Um, what else changes? What else does aging cause to change in? Energy level. Energy level. What else was it? Um, your responsibility. Yes. Whether it's to your children, to your parents, to both of 
Yes. Yeah. What else changes over time as you age? Right? And each of these are can affect your <coughs> I think along with energy, I might just say drive, like there's a certain physical hormonal aspect to it where, you know, the body's hormones aren't the same at 18 and 28, 38, 40, 50. So that can change and being, there's a certain where aspect where you need to be trying to aware of what's going on in your own body and then also your spouse and being able to talk about it. Anything else where age affects? I wonder, I don't know if you guys have experienced this or not, but like maybe how much sleep you need may or may not change. Um, the other thing. Um, but then just in general, I would say health injuries right so right your body right if you're aging and you're gonna get injured at work or injured through sports right or whatever you develop arthritis right your, your body is just different you know the older you get right I know that um, um, we during our almost 20 years I guess, 19 years we've we've gone through stages where this mattress is great now we can't sleep anymore so we need a different mattress, right? So our bodies are, are changing. Um, so what's, it says, you know, one of the questions is why, why is it so important to communicate when this is going on? What can happen if we don't talk through these things? Yeah, and it's it's may may not always be that everything is going down. There may be times where one of those things goes up. You may have more energy at a certain time, or whatever. But knowing what's going on is key. Well, one might think something's wrong, and it's not necessarily wrong. It's just the natural effect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You really can't be. Right. It's just what happens when you get older. Yeah, and it may be it may be that one of the one of the people, uh, something's changing in their life, and maybe they're the one that notices it first, and sometimes maybe it's the spouse that notices it first, and that communication can help both of you kind of be on the same same page as to what's going on and why. Um, so, you know, be familiar with what happens to our bodies as we age, especially when it comes to menopause. I did, I did a brief, I didn't want to get too in-depth, I did a brief research, right? But yes. There, I, menopause exists, right, and then causes changes, and um, so something. I think it. Oh, it's always good to be thinking about right now the changes that are going on, but then what may be coming in the next five, ten, fifteen years, uh, and what to expect when you're looking that direction. Um, I think along with uh, menopause, it's also just children, pregnancy, delivery, pre, right, post. Um, there's a lot of changes to the body that happens there as well, and being aware of that can be really helpful in terms of knowing 
like you said, is something wrong or is this the way it's supposed to be? Is this the way you can expect? Um, anybody have any suggestions? What's, what's the best way to kind of address that communication? We've talked about this a little bit before in other areas, but if there's some changes going on and we want to talk about it, any principles about how to address it the best way? So there's taking a little bit of a taking initiative and you know leading forth and, and okay let's let's actually talk about this. I think it's it could be a little bit different based on whether it's you're communicating something you're seeing in your spouse or you're communicating on something that's going on in your own life. So let's say it's you see something in your spouse that's maybe changing physically and you're maybe concerned but you want to talk about it you know, what's the, the right attitude you talked about was just doing it for their good to help um, make sure that you understand what's going on and how you can help love them. What about if it's you sharing something that's changing and you notice a change in, in yourself and you want to share that with your spouse? Any, what's the best way to share that, explain that? differences there? I think one example I thought of was um, I was reading something and it was talking about menopause, it was talking about childbearing, it was just saying that oftentimes you know, a woman's body changes during pregnancy, it changes during childbirth, it changes through all these different stages and sh she can feel um, less confident, she can feel anxious, she can feel self-conscious about the way her body has changed. And so, you know, if, if that could affect their level of intimacy and in that she may feel reluctant because she's, she's lacking the, the confidence. And so whether or not she or her husband brings it up, there's a certain sensitivity and gentleness about, you know, if he knows is, is there something going on or if she's just wants to be certain transparency and humility about just saying this is something that I just feel this certain way about how my body's changed, right? So there's a certain amount of just being together in that and just listening to one another, you know, knowing that the intimacy is really about the relationship, building upon that relationship. Okay, questions. Come on, I saved it for 10 minutes. So you can you gotta you gotta answer some questions, right? We're gonna hit some questions. Okay. 
There's, there's a little bit of a support. First Corinthians 7, 5. How often should a couple have sex? I mean, this is an easy one, right? Same. Sure, it's the same for everybody. Right? Any, any, right? Not, not for us in general, but we're counseling someone else. They ask us. How often? Any general or specific way you would answer that? Regularly. Regularly. Okay, I'm going to put, right? What does that mean? Is there any way to more clearly, what is regularly, right? Once a year, right? Every year. <laughs> it has not failed. brings up a good point because right in the Corinthians passage that's what he's addressing right is their their temptation because let's go to Corinthians real quick if you remember he was kind of writing this a lot of what he says in Corinthians is in response to a letter where they were saying all these things uh, you know we wrote this and, and he says at the beginning now concerning the matters about which you wrote it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman Right? They thought, oh, purity and even abstinence, even in marriage. So they saw it as a, a thing that was a detractor from their spiritual walk. And so he's addressing a lot of this. Right? And so he's talking about depriving one another and their, their conjugal rights that we should not. So part of the answer, part of the way you answer this question, yeah, is how often does each of the spouse want to have sex? And how often do they want it, and how often do they need it? That's a good, good way to think about it, right? Um, one, you know, and I, I think that when you think about maybe the world it might be when both people want to, right? That's when we would, we would initiate sexual intimacy. But biblically, it's more like when either person, right? Then, right? My body's not my own; it belongs to my spouse, and so. Sometimes it's both. Sometimes it's just one is initiating, the other is loving, lovingly responding. So it's maybe even a bigger than just oh, we we both are you know um, in the mood or whatever. It's when either one has this desire, both submitting to one another. And I I think that there's a tie in that certain way that you create that the more regular it is, um, the more it just becomes a part of the fabric of your marriage part of a healthy, healthy relationship. Okay, here we go. We're going to counsel Bob. Bob confesses to you, we'll assume you're, you're the, the guy here. Bob confesses to you that he is not sexually attracted to his wife while she is a lovely woman with a lot of great qualities. He simply doesn't find her sexy. Why do you suppose Bob is struggling? Okay, we're conjecturing here, right? We're, before we dig in to ask questions, all right, we're going to try and, what are the possible reasons that this might be going on with Bob? Well, what are some outside influences that might cause this? There's several.
So maybe there it could be a relational issue. Okay. Um, we talked about it could be pornography that's in that's kind of warping what he is. Uh, his brain is stimulated by, I guess. Yeah, and so that extends way beyond pornography, yeah. right? Because every media avenue we have is saturated with kind of the sexual images and depictions, right? So whether that's social media or television or movies, magazines, printed, everything has this kind of sexual lens kind of covering it. So that could be his consumption of media would be something. So let's say it's not pornography, it's not media, could be relational. Any other reasons why that there could be some causes for this? Maybe she's raising the questions under the age of six and she hasn't been much to make herself I don't think it ever has, but it might. Someday it might happen. I've heard stories. Maybe it may happen. It's, yeah. Yeah, and maybe in his mind, right, he's going to define that, oh, this is what sexually attractive means, but a mom or, you know, I have little ones that's, that could be related to that for sure. Anything else that we could maybe consider as a possibility as we before, because we, we're going to ask, you know, if we were counseling, we'd ask him all these questions. Right, right. So it could be not just me, it could be an actual person, right? Or is there someone who is, maybe you're not seeing them, but you're, you started walking down mm -hmm. that path. Right. When that starts to adult or you get what you're seven in before there's any yep. thoughts that having conversations, cool. complimenting. Very much so. So it's not you, like this just happened one day, like all of a sudden all this kind of stuff too, right? Like we can safely assume that probably when they were at married, some point when they got married that he did. Yeah. So when did this begin happening? What changed? Okay. Part B, and we want to take a stab. Should Bob share his struggle with his wife? Noah's laughing. What do you think, Noah? Should he share it with his wife? <laughs> My client chooses to plead the fifth. And just, no. Is it, you're not gonna? I think it depends on the situation. Mm -hmm. What is that thing that's causing this in Bob? And I think that will Big red flashing light should go off in yeah. Bob's head. <laughs> Warning. I mean, if it is because she's got you know, five under five and she's running around and she's run ragged and she's not doing her hair and she's constantly got clothes yeah. stained because she's been walking around a times a day. <laughs> I can understand how being thrown up on multiple times a day would not be a sexy thrust. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's when he needs to come home and take care of the kids and stay. <laughs> 
instead of saying, hey, clean yourself up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or I want you to be pretty when I come home. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, yeah. three kids with food today. So, <laughs> I, I think in general, we're kind of approaching it that, you know, this is Bob's. It's not something that has to do with his wife. And um, if if he's going to address it, it's going to be, there's going to be action that he's going to take. And so I'd say very similar to like the talk we had about pornography. Um, and even maybe less so, this is something where he very rarely would probably need to go into this with his wife at first. I think a lot would have to be done talking and counseling. So what is causing this? And is, there, is it related to your wife at all? Or is it all related to kind of your own issues? Because, you know, in reality, that could be a very damaging to their marriage and to their relationship. If he shares this and she has no idea why, right? It's just, oh, okay, now I have to deal with this. So let's keep going. So we, we start asking Bob some questions. When you probe, you find out that in contrast to his wife, Bob was quite promiscuous in college and finds intimacy with his wife rather boring. How would you... How would this impact your counsel? And so we're getting a little bit. We're going to read a couple of Proverbs here. Oh, okay. Let's go to Proverbs 9, 17. Does anybody know that one? What is it? This is yeah. So for Bob, we're finding out that it's the kind of the illicit forbiddenness that he's kind of has warped his desires here and with his wife you know there is no stolen water right anymore so um, let's talk about specific steps and kind of wrap up right uh, what should Bob do right to increase his interest what are some steps he could take I think one it's just reading that passage is I mean I think in his opinion it finishes wonderfully does not know that the dead are there. Because you got to at least look at this as sinful and what is sin, right? Mm -hmm. The severity of it. Um, so that he's, his desires that are sinful, he will identify as sinful mm -hmm. and then look for those good qualities in his wife. Mm -hmm. Oh, she's a really godly woman. I should prize that so incredibly highly. Like, her hair's not done? Who cares? <laughs> like, she's yeah. leaving my kids, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's a sense in which, like you said, acknowledging that he's in sin here. Uh, the Psalms say that if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So it's talking about, you know, he's cherishing this sin in the past, and he's not moving on in, in the gospel. And, uh, you know, pro the Proverbs, Proverbs 5, you can go to Proverbs 5. You know, the beginning of Proverbs, the first 14 verses, are talking about how, how sweet and how, you know, smoother than oil, you know, her lips drip honey, this adulterous woman is. And then, starting in verse 15, he gives wisdom on drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Talking about rejoicing in his wife. Uh, you know, coming down to... But yeah, he's talking about rejoicing 
only finding his fulfillment in his wife. And so I think in general, he's got his, his desires are planted in this illicit and past sexual encounters. And he's, we want to make sure that he's turning all of his focus and desire, desires onto the godly wife that he's been, he's been given. Okay, well, we'll have to skip uh, case number three, but you guys can always talk about it as homework. As homework. So, the the conclusion: Blessed are the pure in heart; they shall see God. The quest for sexual purity—it's got to be rooted in our desire for intimacy with God. And He's not trying to prevent uh, fun and enjoyment, um, but He wants it to be done in the way that He's created us. And it is a gift from God, and it ha- needs to be something that's regularly occurring within a husband and wife's marriage to bless one another. Um, you know, the truth is Satan will use your sex drive to enslave you, ensnare you, and lead you into sin, but you know, a really strong marriage will prevent and kind of guard around those by having healthy healthy interaction with your in your marriage. So I, I believe we're going to start a new topic next week on the day of return. So let me pray for us today. Father, I'm thankful for a good conversation that we've had today and wrapping up you know, several weeks of just talking about how to glorify you and how sex within marriage was created by you and is a wonderful gift. It's a gift that has um, intimacy and oneness, procreation, enjoyment. It has so many purposes. Um, and I pray that you would help us to, as we move forward, talk and work through each of these threats to prevent them, to focus on the purposes of sex that it would be used in a way that glorifies you. And I pray that you'd be with us as we go throughout the rest of our worship today. Um, help us to turn our minds and hearts to focus on you, and that we would be changed and impacted by your spirit at work in our hearts.